1: Hey guys, welcome to this week's edition of Welcome to Atlanta. We appreciate you guys making us your weekly destination to catch up with some of our favorite uh, Atlanta and Georgia guests, uh, both past and present. Let's not waste any time. Let's get to this week's edition of Welcome to Atlanta. All right, so I always like to start with my my guest to find out what they looked like at like 12 or 14 years old were you a good athlete at that point did you in your match job mind profile as a quarterback
2: uh yeah. well i don't want to toot my own horn but yeah I, I feel like i was a pretty good athlete at 12 14 years old uh i love being outside love playing sports played football basketball baseball Anything I could do in the backyard uh, with the neighborhood kids that we were getting into. So, yeah, I mean, I I feel like I was uh, a pretty good athlete at that point. Uh, Whether I thought it would be as a quarterback, I can't really say that going back to that point. I don't think that really happened until I was more... Uh sophomore going into my junior year of high school, so maybe more like sixteen seventeen years old.
1: Could you spin it at that point at sixteen or seventeen, or did you like develop like I always wonder how how a kid finds out, yeah, I got a big arm, but like throwing a nice spiral, a tight spiral, a catchable ball, could you tell that at that point
2: yeah. Yes, I could. Uh, you know, since I, I started playing Pop Warner in third grade, and I remember the first practice and the coach saying, you know, who wants to play quarterback? And at that point I pitched, I did all this in baseball, I love throwing, so I raised my hand immediately, I'll do it. Little did I know that in Pop Warner you really don't throw the ball maybe twice a game. So, uh, yeah, but as I got older, middle school into high school, yeah, I could throw it. Um You know, back in the late 90s, you know, there wasn't much of a spread offense, especially up in uh, Pennsylvania, outside Philly, where I grew up. So we were wing T-based, and, you know, if I got 14 or 15 throws a game, that was a pretty good day's work for me. But, yeah, I I knew I could throw it and spin it. It was just a matter of getting our coach to uh, change the playbook and implement a few things here and there.
1: So when was the first time that it became, I guess, real – That there might be a college future like when did the first college recruiter come your way
2: yeah it was it was my junior season uh i did start as a sophomore albeit you know handed off a bunch and as a sophomore you know and i was i was the height i am now about six five six five and a half but man i was i I was as skinny as the street sign that i'm looking at i was probably 160 pounds soaking wet so i still had a lot of filling out to do so i handed off a bunch but then my junior year you know we started off pretty good and we were throwing it uh you know maybe 10 12 times a game but we were pretty efficient with it and that's when i think college coaches were really coming around and and sending letters and that's when interest peaked a little bit so how was the race
1: itself like obviously you end up at virginia but who else was in the mix
2: Yeah, I think, you know, going back to it, my final decision really came down to their North Carolina and uh, Purdue at the time. And, uh, you know, growing up outside of Philly, a lot of people wonder why Penn State, well, they thought they had their, you know, quarterback locked up and he ended up, uh, you know, last minute uh, going, you know, decommitting and going to another school. But, uh, Purdue was in it, I, Drew Brees was there at the time, so they were they were throwing it all over the Big Ten, and so that was very intriguing to me. And those were my final three choices, really, when I boiled it down. So
1: what separated Virginia?
2: Yeah, you know, it was the opportunity to play uh, earlier. You know, North Carolina, the year, actually it might have been two years prior to me, signed uh, Ronald Curry, and I don't know if you remember oh, that yeah. name, but he, was the two he went on star. to North Carolina. Yep. Yeah, and he, he played basketball as well as football. He was a starting point guard, very athletic. I mean, coming out of Hampton, Virginia, you know, he was like the number one recruit in both sports that year. And so, um, you know, I was still interested in going there, but, you know, because he wasn't sure what he was going to do. But then he had a good year prior to my freshman season. And so it was pretty much the writing was on the wall. Like, look, if I go to, the, you know, North Carolina, the opportunity to play um, sooner rather than later isn't as likely. Um, As Virginia, they had a junior that was going on his senior year when I got there. And um, not to mention the stability of the program. George Welsh was the coach. Had been there for like 17, 18 years. And, you know, top flight education. And those things all combined. And when I stepped on campus, it just had that – it just felt right. It just felt like that was where I was meant to be. And um, lo and behold, you know, couldn't have worked out better. Got to play three years for Al Grow. Uh, coming from the NFL and learning how to be an NFL-style quarterback. Um, And, you know, there was some coaching turmoil my second year in school at North Carolina, and as well as Purdue, they changed coaches. So there was a lot of things happening at those other schools. So it's hindsight, it was the right decision um, going to Virginia.
0: Follow The Podcast Park on social media for live updates as new episodes hit and behind-the-scenes looks at all our shows. Find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at The Podcast Park.
1: I want to talk about one of our great sponsors at The Rhodes Group. Yes, my buddy Clayton Rhodes and The Rhodes Group are a proud sponsor of us here at Welcome to Atlanta, and they're also my insurance company. Uh, It was about, I don't know, four or five months ago now that... I finally realized, why am I paying so much for my home and car insurance? I don't think we realize as the consumer we should be shopping or having somebody in a professional setting shop those rates for us. So I had the professionals at the Rhodes Group shop my rates and they ended up saving me a boatload of money. I'm talking about $2,000 for my home and car insurance. By now, you guys know it's a great time to refinance your home, you see all those rates. Well, you might not know it's also a great time to shop your home insurance. Home insurance rates creep up every year, and the only way to get the best policy and the best rate is to work with an independent insurance agency like the Rhodes Group. Here's the deal, you can get up to 10 insurance quotes in 10 minutes from the Rhodes Group at no cost to you. You wanna visit them online, I got a special landing page for you. You can go to roads groupcom slash off It's spelled R-H-O-A-D-S. Rhodes-Group.com slash off You can also see the link up at Real Matlana on Twitter. They're my insurance company. They're going to do this at no cost to you, and you're going to end up saving a boatload. The Rhodes Group is the answer to saving money and getting the best in insurance coverage. Again, the Rhodes Group is the place you want to go. Tell them Matt sent you. Go to roads groupcom
0: slash churn off. The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves, and people who save the most money
1: Well, Matt, you used the words an NFL-style quarterback. I was looking at your numbers. As a junior, you completed nearly 69% of your passes, and then as a senior, right on the edge of 70%, which that completion percentage is going to catch a lot of folks' attention in the NFL. So what were you hearing about your NFL stock as you were a senior?
2: yeah um when I went from my junior year to my senior year um you know our junior year we really had a, a nice season um started off a little slow, but we we turned it on and finished uh with nine wins and um there was a lot of hype around our program and and you know going into our third year is outgrows tenure and um, you know, people were talking about what we were doing in Virginia. and, You know, our West Coast style that Bill Musgrave, who was our offensive coordinator, brought in. And you know, it was all about completions. And there was a number that I was that was thrown at, at me back then, as far as completion percentage. And that is, if you can be around 62, 63, maybe 64 on the high end. You know, you're you're completing it at a good clip, and and that's really a good benchmark to be, you know. Producing some good offense, and when we were able to get a little more than that out of ourselves, you know that was the whole idea was get it to your guys in space and let your playmakers make someone miss. And when you have guys that can make that first guy miss and they don't get taken down, you know you can get a lot of yards after the catch. And that's what we were trying to do: spread the field. And you know, going into my senior year, there were some people talking. It was you know what's going to transpire, Virginia, and you know at the same time Philip Rivers uh, was at NC State, so we were kind of the the two guys in the ACC that, you know, people were mentioning and talking about and, you know, what happens. But our first drive of our season, I get hit from behind down on the goal line and separate my throwing shoulder. So that kind of derailed a little of the preseason um, talk and, you know, how long I was going to be out. And I ended up missing two games, but came back and, you know, we had a nice season, but uh, whether that hurt my draft stock or anything like that, I don't know. I was just fortunate that, you know, I was, had a good year and, um Atlanta decided to draft me in the third round with the 90th pick in 2004 so it couldn't have worked out better
1: well let me ask you about that because you mentioned um, Philip Rivers so Philip Rivers Eli Manning and Roethlisberger are the three quarterbacks that go ahead of you and I'm sure well no I shouldn't say I'm sure I don't know like did you think Atlanta was even on the radar considering they had this other quarterback I, I forget his name at the time that seemed like they were stable there how much of a surprise was it the Falcons were the team
2: Yeah, to be honest with you, I had no idea, you know, through the combine and pro day and things like that, I had no formal meeting with them. And I don't believe many of the quarterbacks did at all. Um, I just remember I had a little talk in between those little 15 minute windows they have in the evening where you can rotate as players from team to team and have meetings that they schedule. I had an open block and Greg Knapp, who was the coordinator at the time here with the Falcons, um, pulled me aside and we had a 10 minute conversation. And that was the only conversation that I know of that they had with a quarterback or that definitely they had with me. Um, but those the other three guys you mentioned, there was one more late in the first round, J.P. Losman out of Tulane, <laughs> lane, who was drafted by the Bills. So those four guys went ahead of me, and then I was the fifth guy. Um, and knowing that it was going to be somewhat us five in the top, you know, I understand those other three, they were projected to go in the top 10 or 11, which they did. Um, then it was a matter of a waiting game. And when J.P. went with the 22nd or third pick, I, I knew that, most likely, I was going to be the next quarterback, and at that point, I believe there was the Browns and the Packers at the time that were really, you know, actively, you know, looking at quarterbacks and talking with them throughout the process. So every time one of those two teams picked late in the first and in the second round and early in the third, just wondering if a call is going to come, and and it never did. But then I remember looking at my phone in my apartment the, that night on uh, the first day of the draft. 'Cause at that time there was three rounds and then there was four rounds. It was Saturday, Sunday, and that was it. It wasn't this big four day process that it is now. And it was like ten o'clock at night and I remember looking at my phone, there was a four oh four number and I was like I didn't know it. I, I was in Virginia, I didn't know the area codes and I was like, Who is this? And I answered, There it is, it's it's Rich McKay and, and Jim Mora at the time and you know said they were gonna draft me and man, my first instinct was like, Holy smokes, like I'm gonna be behind Michael Vick and <laughs> We're not necessarily the same type of quarterbacks. And so I was like, man, I need to hit the track and start running and get a little faster if, if that's humanly possible.
1: So, okay, there's a, there's a million different roads I want to go down here. So when you get here, as you said, it was more and it was McKay. Falcons are, at, at that time, trying to ascend to you know, the top of the NFC. So you know you're coming in to back up Mike Vick. Do you remember yep. the first time you guys met? What was the interaction like with you and
2: Mike? It was great, you know, I mean, uh, so I came down, and, and at the time, when I left high school and went to Virginia, it couldn't have worked out really as good as it did. Uh, my parents moved down here to the Atlanta area for my dad's work, so getting drafted here, my, you know, I found a place up 85 in Duluth, and so they were Marietta, so about 40 minutes away, but... Close enough, but not too close, but still uh, being comfortable with the city. I had come down here during breaks in college, so the comfort with the city I was going to was awesome. Um, and then, you know, when I first met Mike, when I came down for mini camp, you know, he couldn't have been nicer. You know, obviously we have the Virginia Tech-Virginia rivalry, and so that was kind of a nice little icebreaker, if you will. But, uh, you know, he was great. And I remember my first meeting, you know, I wore seven in college. Obviously he wore seven and seven here. You know, I was just going to be the – try to make a joke of it and say, hey, Mike, I got a $20 bill here for that jersey number. You know, I knew I wasn't going to get it. And uh, he laughed and was like, man, I'd love to, but I think the NFL might not be happy with me about that with all the jersey sales and everything. So, uh, you know, I settled for eight, and uh, we just went about our business. But, man, Mike was a great guy, great guy to have in the room and a person to learn from as I was developing my own – style and how i wanted to you know develop into an nfl quarterback
1: well i want to talk to you about that but as i said the year you get here 2004 the falcons end up if memory serves that's an nfc championship game appearance correct um, you know, mike had a big year you guys as a team had a big year did you like i mean you're close to him in the quarterback room you're on the field with him but like did you get a, an idea about his star power at that time both locally and nationally
2: yeah, I, I really did. And that was one of the main things that just sitting back and watching and observing. You know, it's one thing, it's easy. No matter where you go or who you're behind or where you're learning from, you always pick up the obvious things like, you know, how to watch film or how to handle a game plan and learn it and digest it and go through your week of preparation and taking care of your body, this and that. Those things are really tangible and things you can point to and how you develop yourself and how you want to be as a player in preparation. But at that time, I mean, I was sitting back and just observing and watching Mike, how he handled, you know, the media stuff, the uh, publicity, you know, at that time, he was probably one of two or three most recognizable athletes on the planet. You know, him, Tiger Woods, and, and, you know, probably Kobe Bryant at the time. And it's like those three guys, they couldn't go anywhere. They were, you know, wildly recognizable, and so just being able to watch how he handled himself and how he handled that aspect of it really helped open my eyes to, man, like, this is this is pretty cool to be able to sit back and watch and observe this guy.
1: Well, the other part of it, Matt, that I think is interesting is, and these are Mike's own words, and then I, later I had DJ Shockley on the podcast, and DJ echoed what Mike said about himself. He's like, I, I wasn't working as hard as I should have been. I wasn't watching film. I wasn't in there early in the day, so... Is that something a young quarterback recognizes that he's the star? But am I seeing yeah. what we hear about quarterbacks putting in that work?
2: You know it is, and and that's that's the football side of it, and some of that. And Mike has said it, and you know I've I've talked to him about it. You know since 2006 when I left to go to Houston, and then you know he went, um, you know the other direction, and then to Philly and everything like that. And when he got to Philly and how he learned from what he didn't do earlier in his career. And I felt like Mike always had the ability to make up for maybe not being able to trust his progression or trust reading with his feet, as we call it, as far as quarterback lingo. But um, if he would have just put in a little bit more time as far as, um, you know, in the film room or, you know, going through, you know, the plays in the playbook. And if I get this coverage or that coverage, where my reads going to take me? For Mike, it was, I have a play. It's, if number one isn't there in the progression, I'm number two. I'm gone. And then I'll make something outside the pocket or I'm running. And a lot of times there was things to be had in the pass game. And I think he took a little far too many hits than he needed to. But it was his style of play, and it worked for him, and it worked all the way up until that point, and it worked for our team. Um, but I think he definitely would, uh, you know, as he has, admit that you know, if he put on a little bit more time and developed himself, I think he could have better served him as he got older, too, to where he didn't have to have that instinctual you know, fast twitch, I'm, I'm out of the pocket, I'm going to go make something happen, when maybe that wasn't his best option at the time.
1: Uh, what did you think of Jim Mora?
2: Yeah, I thought Jim was, you know, for him it was, you know, obviously I was a young player. I was a rookie coming in, you know. At that time, when we made it to the NFC Championship game, fell short against the Eagles. You know, as as a rookie, I mean, you're naive to a lot of things that are going on. And yeah, I thought it was easy. You know, like, hey, this is you know, we rolled through the NFC South and the NFC, and you know, we'll we'll just be right back there next year. Well, we were we were humbled in 2005, and you know, we started really good. We were six and two at the bye, and then we finished two and six and go eight and eight and missed the playoffs in week 17. And you know. I think, you know, the same thing goes for Jim. As a first-time head coach in 2004, and, you know, we go that far, I think we thought it might be pretty easy. Looking back on it, you know, our camp the next year might not have been as grueling and as uh, tough as it was the year before. And, and you know, I, I, don't, I think that's easy to say looking back, but I thought Jim had a good pulse of the team and, and you know, feel for what we needed as a football team, but at the same time, you can get a little too caught up in the locker room and and being, you know, bumping elbows and, you know, things like that and not being as uh, much of a disciplinarian and and understanding what a team needs, like a kick in the behind sometimes to get going when things start to go south. And, you know, I think that's where we could have been a little bit better after that NFC title game in order to get back there.
1: Well, that's an interesting point because I've heard either your teammates or other guys intimate that that Jim just got too close to certain guys in the locker room and and maybe that clouded some of whether it's judgment on game day or, you know, decisions that he would make as a head coach. Did you get that perspective?
2: Yes, I, I would definitely agree with that. And that's kind of what I was referring to as far as, you know, rubbing elbows with guys in the locker room and trying to be too much one of the guys rather than be the head coach and having that fine line between the two where, you know, You can have that bond and that closeness, but at the same time, you're you still got to be the head coach and and do all the things that come with that. And um, sometimes I think that that can deter you from the ultimate goal. And that's you know whatever you have to do in your responsibilities to win on Sunday, and not think that it's just going to happen because it happened the year before.
1: What did uh, and maybe I'm trying to wonder what your recollection of the the now notorious interview that he did in Seattle where he talked about Washington being his dream job. I know in the media, I mean, that thing went big right away. What was it like in the locker room?
2: You know, looking back on it, you know, I don't remember that having too, you know, I think it was it was definitely talked about. I don't remember it having too much of a detrimental effect because at the time we had a relatively veteran locker room and guys were able to process that and, and, you know, filter that through and and not get caught up in it. And he had a meeting with, with the team and, and, you know, hash that all out. It wasn't just, you know, he said that, put that out there and then it wasn't, you know, talked about or mentioned in a team meeting, because it definitely was. And I think everyone understood where he was coming from, because I think everyone, when you get to that position as a head coach, yes, you want to be where your feet are and love where you are, because that's, you know, where your your bread's buttered. But at the same time, I think everyone that is probably in that position has a job or a place that, man, like if that came down the pipeline, that would be the ideal, awesome place to coach. And so um, whether, you, you know, you're, you're, audience and where you let that fly you know can sometimes be a problem especially if you're going through some trials and tribulations with the team you're currently on and you put that out there you know it's easy to do that when all is well and you're 13 and 0 and rolling but when things are going a little sideways and you throw that out there that doesn't always send the right message but as far as our football team and our locker room i don't feel that that had too big of an impact on you know what kind of caused us to go sideways with our season
1: what was the locker room dynamic overall? Because I'm I'm thinking of some of the the personalities and the and the the players. Whether it's you know Brooking and Kearney, uh, whether it's Work Done and Algie Crumpler, young Roddy White. Like, what was the dynamic in the locker room like?
2: You know, it was a, it was a real good dynamic. I think one thing that we had looking back on it, the way it was it was crazy because the way our locker room was set up, there was these like little four four quadrants. It wasn't wide open with lockers all the way around. Um, You kind of had ten lockers in an area then ten in another and you didn't really see guys and be able to see your locker and just talk except for those that were in your little area. But I did feel like that at that time there were some clicks within the group and there wasn't a lot of um, uh, bonding or things going on outside of being at the practice facility or on the practice field. and I always thought that went a long way with the team and that could you know, lead to maybe one or two wins throughout the course of a season and some of these tight games that you see, uh, but we didn't really have that as a football team. You had groups within the group but you didn't have it as a whole and I felt like that worked against us as a football team, especially after that 2004 season which things went so well and winning cures a lot of things but then when things can got, kind of go sideways on you then there might be a little finger point from one group to the other and and then you know things get kind of out of control and i feel like that might have been what was happening in 2005 and then in, into 2006 a little bit
1: you obviously got some opportunities to play when mike was banged up and and i want to ask you about the first opportunity because we always hear about the speed of the game and how fast everything's going from college to the NFL. So what are your remembrances of being on the field and how fast were things moving?
2: Yeah, so for me, it was it was a great opportunity. When I got drafted here, you know, it was the year Mike was coming back from his leg injury, and that he missed the whole season the year before. So for me, he wasn't getting hardly any reps in the preseason. Uh, I remember we played Baltimore the first preseason game up there. It was raining. You know, I think we we call it, we wanna just get him one series as is pretty customary in the first preseason game and he got hit, you know, three pass plays in a row. One was a screen and he got hit on all three plays. And I remember Jim just turning around looking at me and he goes, You're in you know, thinking <laughs> you know, three and out, you're thinking, Okay, he might get one more series, get some, you know, momentum and get a little rhythm, but they just said no, he's done. And But that that was way all those preseason games went. I got a ton of time being a rookie, and it was so valuable for me to play two and a half, three quarters of every preseason game because that just gave me, you know, the ability to get, you know, adjust to the speed of the game and, and, you know, not just go in there for a quarter and then get out. You know, just get into a rhythm and play. And then I remember the first game I got, you know, at the end of two thousand four, we had our uh, the number one seed. I'm sorry, the number two seed locked up. And um, we went to New Orleans, and I got my first start was in New Orleans down there, you know, just after Christmas or whatever it was. And um, man, it was going fast, you know. And they weren't they weren't that good of a football team, but man, they, it it was it was a lot. It was a lot to take in. the The regular season was much different than the preseason. I'll just tell you that. And um, so that was an eye opener. And then I got to play the second half the next week. Uh, up in Seattle uh, to finish off the year and that was really cool to play up there and you know in a in a good environment and uh you know have my first touchdown pass and things like that but um those that last part of that 2004 season those two games really gave me a lot to learn from and grow from as far as preparation and the speed of the game and how quickly you have to process defenses and make decisions
1: how much do you think um the start against New England, where you just, I mean, you had a huge game, if memory serves, even in a loss. Yeah. It was a field goal loss. How much do you think that game led to teams like Houston being interested?
2: Yeah. You know, I believe that um, when you put together all the preseason games from my first two seasons and then in 2005, there, that my second year, when I think it was early in the season, maybe early out, mid October, week five or six, when Mike uh, couldn't, uh, got banged up against Minnesota. I played the second half of that game and then. Um, got the start against New England at home, you know, they're coming back defending uh, Super Bowl champs coming into the Georgia Dome, man, I was so fired up for that opportunity in that game and um, was locked into our game plan. And um, as a football team, you know, we fought hard. I I, I think it definitely helped and went a long way um, for teams to be interested. Uh, Houston to ultimately get to pull the um, trade uh, the next season, but there were a couple other teams that were interested in talking with uh, the Falcons about trading for me. But you know, we got down 14 nothing in that game, battled back to tie it. Then we got found ourselves down 14 at the start of the fourth quarter, and we put together some drives and ended up tying the football game with a touchdown and a two point conversion there. With uh, I don't know, it was close to three minutes, two and a half, three minutes left in the game, and I mean the place was rocking, the Georgia Dome was going, but I just knew shoot, we scored and put left a little bit too much time with Tom Brady and Adam Vinatieri on the other sideline. And sure enough, they went down and were able to put together a drive and kick a field goal with no time left. But, man, that was a cool game to be a part of as a young player against against that football team and a defense that does so many things to try to – affect you both in the pocket and and with your eyes. and and, uh, Man, that was really cool to be able to fight back and battle back against that football team.
1: Yeah, you played a great game. You were just one of the many on the Tom Brady hit list throughout the years, as we would find out. Um, So take me through the timeline here, uh, Matt, because Mora is fired after the '06 6 season. So before we talk about the Petrino hire, what were your thoughts when Mora was let go?
2: Well, I think it was, for me, it was um, you know we saw that we saw the writing on the wall and we saw that coming from midway through the 2005 season and how that season ended up and then throughout 2006. Um, for me going to, being in my third year, um, it was probably other than random Wednesdays going into the locker room and seeing a nameplate that was right next to me taken off in the locker, cleaned out and someone else already in it to my seeing my first coach in the NFL being fired, those were some I you know, adjustments for me to understand like how much of a business this is. It's just not like, you know, you show up and everyone's the same from the start of the season to the end of the season. There's things that happen from day to day, week to week. Players move and get picked up from practice squads or you you know, someone gets hurt and you gotta sign someone else and coaches get fired and all this crazy stuff happens. So for me it was you know, just learning about that side of the business of it.
1: So then when Petrino was hired, what was your first thought?
2: Yeah, at the time it was like, let's go. Because for, you know, watching him at his time in Louisville, you know, just all the the yards and points and just throwing the ball around the yard. And, and you know, it was exciting, you know, what we could be as an offense and as a football team, you know, just from the outsider's perspective it's of seeing what he's been able to do as a coach with the talent around him and, and in the locker room. And so just seeing who we had, it was like, man, we can really do some damage and put up some points and, and, uh, this will be pretty fun. Um, and then, you know, once you get in, and back then your off seasons weren't like they are now where they start late April and, um, you know you gotta kind of have nine weeks to get going back then it was fourteen or sixteen weeks, and you were around the building early march and and starting to work out and and throw and be able to do things at the facility. I remember going in there a couple of times with the quarterbacks and receivers, and the coaches could still be a part of it and throw and do all that and Then I quickly realized you know what this might not be as good of a situation as <laughs> we thought once we got to know some of the personalities and some of what was being coached or not coached or how it was being coached and and that's when it was like you know I, 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 you know I was going into my fourth year so I mean I was pretty aware of you know how things could or should be done and you know how sometimes it could be a little I don't know if that's quite right and um you know that that was my first experience with that
0: Follow the Podcast Park on social media for live updates as new episodes hit and behind-the-scenes looks at all our shows. Find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at The Podcast Park.
1: I want to talk about one of our great sponsors at The Rhodes Group. Yes, my buddy Clayton Rhodes and The Rhodes Group are a proud sponsor of us here at Welcome to Atlanta, and they're also my insurance company. Uh, It was about, I don't know, four or five months ago now that I finally realized why am I paying so much for my home and car insurance? I don't think we realize as the consumer we should be shopping or having somebody in a professional setting shop those rates for us. So I had the professionals at the Rhodes Group shop my rates and they ended up saving me a boatload of money. I'm talking about $2,000 for my home and car insurance. By now you guys know it's a great time to refinance your home. You see all those rates? Well, you might not know it's also a great time to shop your home insurance. Home insurance rates creep up every year, and the only way to get the best policy and the best rate is to work with an independent insurance agency like the Rhodes Group. Here's the deal, you can get up to 10 insurance quotes in 10 minutes from the Rhodes Group at no cost to you. You wanna visit online, I got a special landing page for you. You can go to Rhodes-Group.com slash churnoff. It's spelled R-H-O-A-D-S. Rhodes-Group.com slash You can also see the link up at Real Matlanta on Twitter. They're my insurance company. They're going to do this at no cost to you, and you're going to end up saving a boatload. The Rhodes Group is the answer to saving money and getting the best in insurance
0: coverage. Again, the Rhodes Group is the place you want to go. Tell
1: them Matt sent you. Go to roads groupcom
3: First Horizon Bank, member FDIC.
1: It's interesting you say that. So from an outsider's perspective, I remember the first couple of days after he was hired, I was up in Flowery Branch and we were doing one-on-one interviews with him. And, you know, seeing Dan Reeves and Jim Mora, different ends of the spectrum. I just remember sitting down with Bobby Petrino, as I was told to call him Bob. It was very clear it was not Bobby. I was like, okay, fine. It was such a different personality. And I remember saying to somebody, I don't know if this is going to mesh with 24- to 34-year-old professional football players. And I guess we found out very quickly, just from lunchroom to meeting rooms to the field, it just it wasn't going to work.
2: Right. And, um, you know, I got that feeling from those workouts and everything like that, and that's when I was going into a year where I was going to be a restricted free agent. So for me, it was, you know, if, if someone comes in and is willing to trade for me, you know, it can match or, or, you know, not... Not go through with it, but you know, fortunately at that time, Houston, you know, I were able to work out work out a trade and and acquire my services. And man, it couldn't have worked out better for me to go there and be a part of that organization and that coaching staff because I I just had a feeling that it was um, headed in the wrong direction, you know, in the locker room and and in the facility here with the Falcons. Who uh,
1: who told you about the trade from the Atlanta perspective?
2: Um. You know what? There really wasn't anyone. So I was out in California in mid-March at a golf tournament, a charity golf tournament for my agent uh, that he puts on every year And um, at the time. And um, that's when it was – that was right when free agency was starting, that weekend or that, that week. And um, that's when he first mentioned to me that – you know we might have something in the works and, and it might be houston and um but the one thing we want to do is make sure you're comfortable with it and and gary Kubiak, who was the head coach in houston at that time and so um gary Kubiak flew out to california from houston and um that night we visited and then we played golf the next day and hit it off and that's when it was like I told my agent, like, this is go- this is this is a good fit, and I want to go play for this guy, and um, let's do it. And that's when about 24 hours in the making, and um, I was on a plane to Houston.
1: And I, really the- not- and I really had
2: not, and I had not talked to anyone with the Falcons at that time.
1: That's interesting. I want to ask you about the Houston experience in a second, but as you're now miles and miles and miles away, starting your you know journey as a starting quarterback there, I mean, you had to peek over your shoulder and see the craziness. That you left behind, as you said, from the Petrino stuff being one thing, but then obviously, what would break with Mike early that spring yeah. into the summer? Like, what was your takeaway from from your vantage point?
2: Man, it it was crushing because I mean I was still so close with everyone in the locker room and so many guys on that football team that, um, you know, to see all that taking place from afar, man, it, it was it was tough to see. And uh, for as far as Mike's situation and everything that was ta- taking place there. Um, had no idea, um, you know, three years together, three years in the, in, the, in the locker room and in the meeting room together, had no idea any of that was going on, nor did anyone else on the football team. And that's, you know, kind of how Mike was. And he had his um, group around him and, his, you know, that lived with him, his buddies from home and everything like that. So, I mean, there was no idea any of that was going on. And I was traded, and it was almost to the day, a month later, when all that, broke and all that news came out about what was taking place up in virginia and man couldn't have been more shocked couldn't have been more surprised because none of us had any idea do you reach out to him at that point or do you just kind of let it breathe you know i i didn't because i knew that um he was getting it from all angles and so many other people and so many things that were going on in his mind and um it, i waited a little while till i did because um, i didn't want to be too much in the in his face and you know blowing up his phone because i know he was getting it from so many different people
1: so here's the thing matt like from so many of our perspectives how much history can change just in that three or four weeks if that trade happens later or you know mike has his incident earlier like you become the starting quarterback of the falcons then maybe you succeed here in a big way matt ryan's never selected houston has to go another way i mean we think about that stuff i wonder if it ran through your mind at that point
2: you know it did it definitely did you know obviously i had my mind wrapped around what i was doing and transitioning to houston and um being the franchise quarterback that they needed um and that i wanted to be there but man it definitely crossed my mind like what could have happened or would have happened had that not taken place and um yeah, it definitely crossed my mind, and uh, you know I definitely let Matt know about it when I got here, or when I had saw him prior to coming here in 2016, because we we knew each other, you know, before my coming here in um, the 2016 off season. But shoot, I, I remember saying that to him, and I said, you know what? I mean, I know you pay your agent probably two or three percent. I mean, I would take half a percent just from having left here. But um, no, that was that's all. All kidding aside, I mean, yeah, there, it's crazy how everything's kind of linked, and you can there's. Few degrees of separation in the nfl and how things happen
1: so you had a i mean you had a bunch of really good years in houston i was looking at the numbers i mean you're talking near 5,000 yards passing a few years you guys won a lot of games tell me your like initial um sort of uh you know comfort level there how did the fans receive you and what was your overall takeaway when you were done in houston
2: yeah, uh, you know the fans are great. I mean, uh, you know you hear about all the time that Texas, you know, football is as big in Texas as anywhere in the country, and and it is. They love football. They love the city. Loves their Texans. And um, to that point, you know, in five years of the organization's history, they hadn't, you know, been as successful as they would have hoped. So for me, it was how do we take that next step, get a winning franchise, and um, develop into a winner, and then you know along with that a playoff team and someone that you gotta you know have your eye on year in year out and you know slowly but surely we built that and you know through Gary Kubiak's tutelage you know really helped me develop into a franchise quarterback and um, you know one that you know would give our team a chance to win week in week out and um, you know it was a great seven years you know had a a lot of good games and you know my teammates were I, I, it was such a good group we had a lot of guys that were going through the same type of life situations similar age bracket you know we were up and coming and um you know have a lot of you know good relationships from those years and then you know as you fast forward and you know make the playoffs for a couple of years, win a couple of division championships, had a couple injuries and um you know but had some success uh, unfortunately couldn't make it past the divisional round of the playoffs um which we probably should have but we didn't and led to a, a 2013 season to forget um but you know I have nothing but but love for the city of Houston and all their fans. I mean it was you know, they, they had waited a long time for a winner, and we gave that to them. And then 2013 was a rough year and had some some bad games, some bad decisions and throws. But um, really, really looking back on my time there, wouldn't trade it any of it for anything. And um, just am grateful for having had that opportunity.
1: Before we uh we wrap it up with with the return to Atlanta, you first met Kyle Shanahan or at least played for him, I assume, in Houston in in 07. What was your relationship from a, a professional and personal relationship with him?
2: Yeah, it was great. You know, he was I went got there in 2007 and he was the wide receiver and quarterback coach and I I didn't know Kyle from from anybody and I just knew that okay, here's Mike Shanahan's son and that he you know, started out he went, I knew that I knew of him from him going to college at Duke and then transferring to Texas and all that, but um, didn't know him as a coach or anything like that. But we hit it off right away and had a similar mindset and similar way about uh, working together to go about being ready to play on Sunday. And after the 2007 year, he got elevated to offensive coordinator and quarterback coach, so he was still in our room in 08 and 09. And we work really closely together. And he helped develop a lot of what we were as a play-action pass team and our bootlegs and things like that and really developed that. And, you know, now you look at it and almost every team in the league runs the play-action passes that we developed or, you know, I should say that, you know, Kyle developed um, back in 2007 and 8, And you see them all the way across the league, every single team, and with some subtle nuances and tweaks to fit, today's game but um he really did all that himself and uh, but it, it was a great relationship and you know we could see at that time when he left in 2009 2010 to go to Washington to be with his dad you you knew he was going to be successful because of how hard he worked and how determined he was to to make it work
1: did you uh ever see the Chris Sims tattoo he has
2: I sure did that was one of the first things I asked him about because <laughs> that's how I knew of him was because of his tie to texas and you know a couple of the players there and chris and and uh yeah so that was the first thing i asked i said you're going to keep that there huh (laughs) <laughs> so you don't want to get that removed those, those years are well in your past but uh, now he, he left it on there
0: to this day that's
1: hysterical I love it, that's amazing Okay, so let's wrap up with this, you come back to Atlanta which is kind of cool, full circle you get here and guess who's here, well here's Kyle Shanahan again as the OC, and it just so happened Matt, uh, Ryan would put together that MVP season in what was a Super Bowl year, so give me some thoughts on just full circle, ending here and, and starting yep. it out with that year
2: yeah, I mean, that was probably the biggest draw to me to come back to Atlanta because after leaving Houston and going to Oakland for a year, Baltimore for a year, you know, understanding where my role and where I'll be best suited um, in this game. And um, at that time, um, there were no type bridge-type quarterbacks, so to speak, uh, opportunities where, you know, it could be a veteran to go in and start until a young player's ready, but – um so is best suited to come in and be a, a veteran presence in a quarterback room, a backup to help all the young players, all you know, the defense, everything like that, be ready to go. But to have Kyle here, you know, something that I had been trying to do for the couple years prior to that was match back up with Kyle wherever he was. Um, like, he was in Cleveland the two years when I went to Oakland and I went to Baltimore, and I was trying to match up with him at that point. And Um, Houston ended up trading me to Oakland we didn't work anything out in Cleveland but that was a big draw to me to get back to playing under him and his mind and and where he had come from back in 2009 when we went separate ways uh, because I knew how successful he was going to be and how good of a coach he was and when it finally worked out that you know there was an opportunity here in Atlanta I jumped all over it and you know obviously knowing Matt as well helps and um similar type of quarterbacks and see the game through a similar lens um i feel like i could have i could be a a help in any certain way possible uh to the atlanta falcons
1: is it bittersweet i mean every quarterback wants to lead his team to a super bowl but i mean you got there in a different role is it bittersweet in that case
2: uh no i i think i was past that mentally you know obviously you want to be out there any player does and um you know, unfortunately, quarterback, you know, there's only one on the field at a time. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, looking back on it, there were some opportunities in Houston to have a chance, and we, we fell short of that. But, um, you know, just getting there in the role that I was in, you know, I was still there and still part of that, that football team and still part of those 46 guys that suited up every Sunday. And, um, man, it was, it was a cool experience, albeit um, fell a little short.
1: Are you coaching on the sideline in your head like Super Bowl Sunday that night at the end of the game? Like, here's what I would do, or here's what we should be doing?
2: No. At that point, you know, there's so much preparation that goes into that, That you know, with the off week, the week before, and build up that, you you know, as a football team, you leave no stone unturned going into that thing. So, you you, know, you don't. Yeah, you might talk about this or that throughout the game, but you don't. You don't say I would have done this or that. You know, it's just. So you're not. You're not so yelling the, run
1: the ball late in the game, right there in your own. Head? Oh,
2: oh, you're talking about as far <laughs> yeah, as that decision yeah. is concerned. Oh, well, you yeah. you kind of you you kind of swerved around that. I was trying to be nice question. about yeah. it, Matt. I didn't want to throw a rock at you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think those rocks have already been thrown. To be honest with you, but yeah, I was yelling that as soon as we got that, you know, throw down there to get well inside field goal range, and given the time and what they had been doing offensively all, all through the fourth quarter, of course, I'm yelling, run the ball. Like, let's just milk this clock and use their timeouts and kick a field goal and go up 11 and, and put it, you know, two-possession game with whatever it would have been, two minutes. Like, that's tough to do. And, but, yeah, I was yelling that. But the, the thing about that game, the finality of it when it's over – Is so much greater than any other game because it is it is the last one. You have eight months before it comes back around. Whereas in the regular season, you have you have a day to process it and you move on to the next one. Well, you don't have that when you're in the Super Bowl. It's just like it's it's done. And but yeah, I was yelling that. Do you
1: hear the calls in the headset and you're
2: thinking,
1: like I mean, what is that? You know, the the place is going nuts. It's the final couple of minutes. Absolutely. So what do you when you hear those calls? I mean. Take, take me through that as the guy who's just watching at home who's yelling at the TV oh. the same thing.
2: So I, I generally, when when the team, I mean, we have the ball, yes, I have my helmet on. I'm hearing it through the headset. And I usually like to stand away from the group of people that follow the ball in the sideline, the substitution package. So I stand either well behind the football so I get a good vantage point or I stand well in front of the football, you know, whichever way we're going with it. And I remember hearing that play call. a a handful of them. And, you know, naturally I look up to where the box is knowing that, you know, play callers up there. I'm like, huh, What, what, what are we doing? And I'm also looking down the sideline. Is anyone else reacting the same way I am? But I can always tell, especially then by that point, it's obviously only the first year I've been with Matt, but all season, like I can tell his mannerisms and what's going through his head sometimes. And there was a moment there where he had like a little like, Wait, what what happened? Like his head, you know, turns aside, like, Are you sure? Did I hear that correctly? Um But yeah, I mean there's a little bit of that short of just running like a um a maniac down the sideline, you know, it just you gotta trust the calls and trust and, and you know, okay, let's do it and we'll make the most of it and go and you know, make it work. And obviously hindsight's twenty twenty when it doesn't, but um yeah there was a little bit of uh man i need to go tell someone and be like what are we doing
1: i hate to i hate to take you down that road i apologize that wasn't i didn't i didn't see
2: i was having a good day until you brought (laughs) that up. i
1: I apologize it it takes me (laughs) back to a bad place too i'm not gonna lie to you um (laughs) listen your career speaks for itself i mean unbelievable I, I love the full circle story what 15 16 years in the league is is impressive as it gets and uh, everybody 17. was i gotta 17. correct you there hey listen you take extra hits you deserve to mention every year so good for you <laughs> uh, i heard nothing but great things about everybody who played with you and uh, appreciate you uh, sharing some of those stories with us nothing but uh, luck and success moving forward my friend
2: hey matt appreciate it thanks for having me on
1: Guys, thanks again for joining us. We appreciate it very much. Thanks to the great folks at The Roads Group. Remember, The Roads Group is where you want to go to have them shop your insurance rates, both car and home. They did it for me at no cost. They will do it for you at no cost, and they can save you a bundle of money. You have nothing to lose and only something to gain with The Roads Group. You can go to The Roads Group, uh, check out their great website, and go to my Twitter page and find out the information there with a landing page right over to find out how they can get you 10 quotes as quickly as 10 minutes. Thanks to Brian Murphy for producing the podcast and thanks to you guys for making us your weekly destination. We'll talk to you next week on Welcome to Madlanta. Welcome to Atlanta where the players play, and we ride on them things like every day. Big beats, hit streets, see gangsters roaming, and parties don't stop till eight in the morning. Welcome to Atlanta where the players play, and we ride on them things like every day.
0: Big beats, hit streets, see gangsters roaming, uh-huh. and parties don't. Are you doing enough in your life personally and professionally to market yourself? You have questions, and the marketing madmen have answers. Search the marketing madmen on Google or your favorite podcast provider to get practical marketing advice from expert guests who are shaping and reshaping the business world. They say marketing
3: is a madman's game. Join the marketing madmen every Saturday at 4 p.m. to find out why.